You are listening to a second piece, the voice of your future doctors. Welcome back to another episode of A Second Opinion. So do not press pause, do not stop. This voice might not be the one that you're used to, but we have a special guest on the episode today. Our very own Habib Swara. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we are turning the tables and we are putting the host in the audience uh, chair today. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Habib, thank you for coming. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, it's good to be here um, in a different seat than usual. Um, but, you know, I'm excited. I appreciate you coming in um, and agreeing to take over the host chair for this episode. Um, you're a natural, so <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to be good. Thank you. So, uh, so to back up a little bit. My name is Phil Anjum, and I am a second-year medical student, so we're keeping it in the family here in <laughs> medicine. Yes. And as you know, you should know that Habib is a third-year medical student at this point. Yeah, yeah, in the rotations grind. Um, yeah, so tell us how it is. Tell us about this long day today, how you're feeling right now. Oh, Lord. Uh, well, today, today was cool. Um, I started hospital pediatrics, and I'm, in, I'm interested in being a pediatrician which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later in the episode. Um, but it was just, you know, the first day of a new rotation, you're always like, what the heck is going on? Where where do I go? I had an attending. He had to like literally almost like hold my hand and show me where I needed to go. And so, <laughs> Classic. Yes, in front of all of the residents and the medical students and the attending. So I was just like, you know, that's the way to start off a first day for sure. Um, but, you know, it's, it's good. Like I love interacting with kids. Um, and you know, I think there's like a adrenaline rush when you're presenting your patient, at least um, during rounds, that's always exciting. And just knowing that like you're responsible for a person's life, you know, your team is responsible. I think that, I think that's special. Like, yeah, you know, it's a dream come true, I guess, as the cliche says. So, yeah. Wow. I, I have to say for an M2, a second year medical student, hearing that, so we're still in the book phase of our medical education, yeah. <laughs> not a patient, so hearing you talk about the third year being actually in the clinic, where I'm hoping to be very mm -hmm. soon, is uh, something that I'm kind of jealous of, even though maybe you were nervous, you said the adrenaline was kind of high, but uh, when you're in front of the books, it's kind of hard to push yourself at this yeah. point, a year and a half in, when... You just want to get into the clinic already. Yeah, I, I promise you, Phil, it's going to get better. It's going to get a lot better. I think the first two years are just a, a different kind of existence compared to like your third and fourth years. Third and fourth years is kind of what you signed up for. But the first two years are kind of like a necessary rite of passage um, into medicine. So, you know, it can get a little, a little rough, a little monotonous those first two years. But it definitely gets better. It definitely gets better. Good. I can't wait. So uh, you talked about learning, you know, walking into these shoes of a medical student. But to back up, since this is something that you ask all of your, your people on the podcast and something that we've seen glimpses of, I want to know from your perspective, sort of where you're from and how you got to this point of your medical education. 
Wow. Yeah. So I'll try to keep it short. But, um, my name is Habib Ademola Suara. I am the child of Nigerian immigrants, the third of five, because obviously the middle child is the, the best child. So um, that's what I rep every day. Um, I spent most of my life um, in a small town in Western Tennessee called Bolivar, Tennessee. It's a population of about 5,000 people, um, about you know, 55% African-American, maybe 45% Caucasian, and then very little um, any other ethnic populations otherwise. Um, it's a small town in Western Tennessee, so, you know, um, that's just, just kind of how it tends to be. Um, I, you know, went to school out in West Tennessee um, and then went to college at the University of Pennsylvania um, in Philadelphia, which was a blast and also like a bit of a culture shock, I suppose, like going from a, a little town to a big city in a good way, though. I think I welcome all of the opportunities that are available to you uh, when you move to a big city. Like, for example, for school in high school from 10th grade to 12th grade, I drove an hour, you know, yeah, two hours each, the total round trip. Uh, you know, if I wanted to go to any religious services, that was two hours round trip. And, you know, for the first time when I moved to Philadelphia, you know, all of those things were within a walking distance, you know, like, and, you know, I think it's just, that's just, that itself is a privilege and something that I appreciated about my college experience, having everything so close by at the same time. I think it also revealed to me that even with, you know, you know, at the University of Pennsylvania, HUP is like the big hospital system or CHOP. But even with these like large hospital institutions, you can have disparities right, you know, right next door, you know. Um, and for me, that was new because I grew up, I was and I was away from those big, glossy kind of institutions and universities. And so really, really seeing that dichotomy. Um, and also knowing that, you know, my dad was a physician within a rural area. He was a primary care pediatrician. Um, and he worked in an FQHC for uninsured and underinsured patients. I think really having that perspective and a mom as an activist, um, in Tennessee, you know, really just opened my eyes to kind of, even in different environments, the same unfortunate truth can be the same. And so, you know, really that's what motivated me to be a doctor, because um, I think that physicians have a, like a unique vantage point from which they can see, you know, have a pulse, no pun intended, of, uh, you know, what's going on in the general population. But as well as, you know, I think the platform, the opportunity, the voice that physicians have are unique and impactful. And I think when you realize that, I think a lot of really positive change can be done. So, you know, because of that, really, you know, and a lot of those those realizations didn't come into like my senior year of college. Um, like I had an idea I wanted to be a, some kind of health professional um, from like a young age. But I think the image of a physician came also formalized in college. But that idea of like truly what I want to accomplish from my professional endeavors uh, that didn't crystallize until like my last year of college. And from there, you know, all of my passions and, you know, choices in life have kind of stemmed from there. You know, I came to Ohio State um, in 2017 and, you know, it's been a great experience since then, um, both like learning in medical school, growing as a person and all of that, but also 
continuing to grow and realize the impact that I want to have as a practicing physician and professional, um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, I think that's 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 the gist. Yeah. Wow. So uh, the whole time that you were talking about moving from Tennessee to Pennsylvania, then mm-hmm. Columbus, I wanted to ask you, the last guest, Corey, was yeah, from yeah. Columbus and then went to Ohio State. So he had kind of been from a big city all that time. Mm-hmm. But in your case, you came from the countryside <laughs> to big cities. So I'm wondering, from your experience watching your dad serve these rural populations and then coming to larger cities, both for college and then for medical school, how has your outlook of medicine changed? And then how has your perspective on what you want to do in medicine changed? Mm, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing is that I think when you grow up in an environment that so many people are unfamiliar with, um, and also something about the environment that I grew up in was that I was kind of different. I'm Nigerian, Muslim, um, you know, rock, smelly looking jollof rice to, to lunch with like lamb and goat. Like, um, you know, my mom wears the headscarf. So does, you know, most of my sisters. And so even with that, and you get like a certain array of challenges that come with that, but also in kind of a indirect kind of blessing, you get an understanding of people, of the simplicity of life, um, and then also how to connect with people in spite of differences, in spite of, you know, different socioeconomic statuses, you know, backgrounds in life, um, and just how to connect with people on that kind of intimate level. Um, and so I think I brought that from my small town upbringing. And then when you come to the big city, <laughs> uh, more so Philly, I think Columbus has a bit of a friendlier Midwest type of vibe. But, you know, when you come to Philly, I think there is a Im- impersonalness, if that's a word, um, that comes with that. You know, for example, like, <laughs> I think... I think this was the biggest thing when I moved to Philly that I unfortunately also noticed in Columbus. But I think like the idea of ignoring someone when they talk to you, whether they're like, you know, a billionaire or like a homeless person on the street, like that that's foreign to me. Like, you know, no matter what, like, you know, in a population of 5,000 people, you talk with everybody, you, you know, everybody, <laughs> you kind of know what everyone's business and, you know, their backgrounds and things. And I think, you know, I always see, people in the you know general public i feel like that's a that's kind of the kind of go to that's what you should do and for me like that is that's just such a weird concept and i say that because i think it extrapolates to how we interact with people from different backgrounds as us in a medical um environment because like you know the humanness, humanity of a person does not change once they're in clinic and once they're outside of clinic. It remains the same. And so I think so much of the way that you interact with people in general um, in our daily lives is going to impact the way you interact with them when they are your patient, especially when you're in that more patriarchal dominant role as physician to someone who is currently ill and in a weak, you know, vulnerable position. I think. yeah, I think that having that perspective is important. 
And so, <laughs> you know, I basically in summary, I think that what growing up in that kind of environment does for you is that I think it makes you conscious or always leaves with you like this conscious idea of like preserving humanity and knowing that engaging with a person one-on-one is shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be something you only reserve for professional endeavors. You know, it should be something that is a part of daily interaction, no matter who it is, really realizing that um, and making it something that you're, that is paramount in every interaction that you have, I think will allow a lot of the, you know, I don't know what the word is, but like neglects that we see in medicine are less, less prevalent. So, yeah. Okay. That's a long answer. Sorry. Yeah, no, that, that, but you brought out a lot of good stuff. And I'm curious, so the, there's a classic question, right? Why do you want to be a doctor? But yeah, yeah. in terms of, since your father's a doctor and you've had this journey, you mentioned that you didn't necessarily solidify your thoughts about being a doctor until mm-hmm. your senior year of college. Yeah. And I wanted to know, what does being a physician mean to you personally? Hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> I think being a physician entails... Deep question. I think it entails focusing and really analyzing health in all aspects. I think traditionally, I think the type of doctor that I know my dad trained to be in Nigeria, and I think here in the United States as well for years, is kind of, you know, our job is more the diagnosis, the differential diagnosis, the very clinical applications of care. And how can we get this patient in front of us to be alleviated of whatever concern, whatever health, you know, um, disease, disorder, ailment that they have currently? How can we help to get them in a healthier state? Uh, Which is a great concept, a great concept. But I think as we move forward as a society, as like chronic diseases become even more prevalent, I think as as we realize that the clinical space is just no longer sufficient enough, maybe it never was sufficient enough, to be honest, um, to solve the health needs of our population here in the United States. You know, I think it's necessary for physicians to branch out out of those spaces, um, out of those clinical, the walls of those clinical institutions, and really have an idea of, of like a pulse of, What's going on in communities, you know, what's going on in the daily lives of Americans that are impacting their health? And as a physician, a very smart, driven, um, you know, motivated to make positive change in society, I feel like to be a physician, you're kind of intrinsically motivated to do that, that you can have a significant impact on improving people's lives in general um, in order to reach you know, a great attainment of health. I'll give you an example that I learned um, this past summer. I was in Chicago, um, closer to the South Side, uh, working in a community health center through the National Medical Fellowships Program. And I believe it's there that I learned this, that physicians, right, if a patient comes in, you know, they have chronic disease, diabetes, asthma, you know, some kind of cardiovascular disease or risk factor for cardiovascular disease. and you know, 
they complain to their physician like, hey, you know, my lights are off and I can't use my breathing machine anymore. Um, and so that's affecting my health. The physician can contact the electric company and say, hey, this, this person needs their lights on. We need you to turn their lights on in order for them to have a clean bill of health. And most of the time, electric companies comply. Um, and I think if more physicians realize that they do have that power, if more physicians realize that their testimony in you know, judicial areas as advocates and as proponents of healthier and more positive um, health, health life, healthy lifestyles, um, realize that we have an incredible role that we can play in these arenas, um, then I think it would just, I think it would transform how we think about health. And I think it would really transform the way that people look at what it means to be healthy. And I think change health for this country. Um, and I think another thing, what it means to be a physician, I think it, it also means perspective. Um, now, given I'm, you know, I'm interested in primary care, and so that offers a different clinical approach, I guess you could say, um, to medicine. But I think perspective is incredibly important um, in to be a good physician. Um, in some ways, I think that means, especially if you're of a disadvantaged or minority background, um, you can speak a language that a lot of other people don't. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you can, like, for example, like for a Nigerian patient, um, if, you know, they, they have trouble describing their diet, you know, <laughs> I can literally talk to them um, more personally um, and be able to dictate, okay, is she eating more, you know, if she says jollof, is she eating more grains? Is she, if she's eating eba, you know, it's more cassava, um, little things like that. But also just, uh, I know personally um, that the more comfortable I am with a physician, the more invested I am personally in my own health. And I think when physicians have perspective and kind of like what we talked about, um, acknowledge humanity, um, no matter who it is, um, you will see a much more powerful impact on health, I think in general. So, so yeah. Wow. After hearing all that, it's, it's hard to imagine you doing something that's not primary care focus <laughs> you, you jump around to so oh many things goodness. actually you know i was interested in surgery the other day no, <laughs> no i mean that i would understand too if you went from primary care to anesthesiology and then back to surgery that's how medical school I is an open mind but i think what you touch upon is that the i keep saying pulse but like the you know the ideals of primary care and like being on those front lines of medicine I think a very almost a form of activism in my opinion um and so that's that's really what drew me to medicine in the first place and so something I want for my career would have to you know encompass that something with a larger public health impact um I'm gonna go on I'm gonna also say this that you know I just came off of ambulatory pediatrics rotation and I think something that struck me immediately was how prevalent obesity was in pediatric populations across ages from, you know, 18 months to 18 years. I think it's so, and I don't think there's a change in the quality of people or, you know, the priorities. I think everyone wants to be healthy. No one wants to be unhealthy. 
And so I, I think it would be preposterous to say that this, you know, this younger generation is somehow, you know, flawed or or something in that nature. I think it's I think it's our responsibility to be honest. Um, I think I think it's our responsibility to acknowledge that again there are outside factors impacting the health of our patients, larger serving sizes. Um, you know, if you are in a community where it's not always safe to go outside or a community that doesn't have sidewalks, my there, there's not a lot of sidewalks, <laughs> not always sidewalks in like places like Bolivar if you want to, you know, get from place to place, especially if you don't have a car. Um, and then, you know, having healthy food available. Again, if you didn't have a car in Bolivar, it would be six miles to the closest uh, grocery store with healthy foods in it. So there are so many things, factors impacting the health of our patients. And so, and you can't solve them solely in the clinic. Um, you can't. And you also, I think it would be irresponsible to say that, to to kind of blame parents or children. I think it's it's bigger than that. And I think as physicians, we do have to be on the front lines fighting that battle and figuring out how, despite all of these environmental, social, economic challenges, how can we best ensure that our patients are healthy? I think that's what it's, I think that's what it's all about. I feel like you're dancing around my next question. So uh, I think I tell you three times that you mentioned the pulse of the <laughs> society. But I mean, you're talking about these like sidewalks, civil engineering, um, the utility companies, these food regulations, and just a lot of the systemic issues that keep disadvantaged populations disadvantaged in terms of healthcare. And so I want to know what your relationship is with politics and, you know, your ideal current and maybe future aspirations for bringing medicine into more of a politically active role in, mm. today, in today's society. <laughs> well, I'm not a politician. That is for sure. Um, I, I guess I do come from a family where we do have a politician. <laughs> My mom was just elected to be like the first Muslim woman, the first Nigerian woman to be elected to Nashville city government. Uh, cause we moved to Nashville once we all moved away from Bolivar, um, in like 2014, 2015. And so, but for me personally, I don't necessarily have any political aspirations, but to answer your question specifically, um, I don't even think it's about politics. I think it's about community. Um, I think it's about, you know, just realizing what's going on in the area that you live. I mean, think about it. Like, medicine is also very impacted by epidemiology, right? And you should be aware of, you know, what's going on in your local area and the different ways that you can impact that in a very non-social, sociological Example, right? Here in Ohio, histoplasmosis is very, very common. Very, very common. It's a fungus um, that can cause certain pulmonary manifestations and can mimic tuberculosis, right? And so if you didn't know the epidemiological that epidemiological fact, right? Any patient that came in with a what is it, a CT, some kind of imaging that indicated some pulmonary nodules, and you didn't know histoplasmosis was very common here and you know, sometimes very benign on imaging, you would think every patient had tuberculosis. And so, and that's, that's, 
that's non-sociologic. That's just knowledge of the community, the region, that where you live in. Um, I think my argument is that if a physician can adequately address stressors that are barriers to health, I think, again, one, that creates trust, and two, I think it solves the root of the problem rather than putting a Band-Aid solution on it. Um, Another example, there's a physician in, you know, I feel like people always talk about the need for underserved communities, underprivileged communities. How can we, you know, promote, if not financial literacy, then upward mobility, you know, start to plant those seeds in there. Um, There's a physician in Boston. uh, They have a program called Street Cred. Again, it works in community health centers, um, I believe. And while patients are waiting, you know, the waiting in a doctor's office can be very, very long. And so what they do is they help patients do their taxes while they're waiting for their doctor's appointment. And I know personally, if it was tax season and I could go to the doctor's office and get great tips on how to make more money, of course, I would go. Um, and Right? Right. Like, I would go, especially um, in the kind of communities that are in the most health and financial needs. When you think about it like that, over the long term, think about what that can do. You know, if there are socioeconomic barriers to attaining medications or, you know, affording maybe some kind of specialty care or insurance, that is creating better health for populations as well as you know, improving the entire well-being of, it, of a community. I mean, that's big. Um, and so, I mean, that, so I think that's my point, right? that, you know, it's not necessarily political and I don't have necessarily political aspirations or ideologies to put onto anybody. But I think it's a general point in any population that if you address the root causes of people's problems, um, they are more willing to do the things that you recommend. So I'm not going to let you off the hook. I think that was a <laughs> I think it's a very scientist response to the question. <laughs> and I, I think it's very noble, right? And I uh-huh. I don't think it's I think it's a great answer and I think it's what a lot of people feel, right, where you feel like your your skills are better with the epidemiology, mm-hmm. with the public health side. At the same time, right? I mean, maybe you know, you, I'm sure you know, you know a lot of these you're very in touch with society, but mm-hmm. Right, physicians number one don't participate that much politically. Number two, don't vote. Right, so we are very historically very very low in terms of how much we go to the polls. Right, voter turnout. Right, and so I think one of those reasons is because of this low physician participation in politics, and that we just don't have a lot of representation. And so, I mean, knowing you and listeners, you've heard this this great man speak, and you you've heard his ideas. I think regardless of whether or not you think that you're a good candidate for politics, I think someone like you should consider some kind of, maybe not as an office, but some kind of political role because all these policies, right, even the tax help, right, even a tax overhaul the system, those things do come from a lawmaking politician perspective. And so if we don't have any role any voice in that arena, then nothing will happen epidemiologically, healthcare-wise, etc. Got it, got it. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Um, in, that. in advocacy, I could see. That, that's fair. Um, 
definitely being a legislative advocate is a goal of mine in the future. Um, just being someone who is, you know, present on Capitol Hill and can offer their voice for sure, for sure. You know, um, am I going to be the next mayor of Bolivar, Tennessee? Unlikely. <laughs> but, you know, I do have look to have kind of a broader role in legislation is a big part of that. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that wasn't a. Uh, it was more of a statement saying you yeah. better. <laughs> someone like you better be be involved because uh, you have the skills. The you're in touch. You have the pulse of the people, and you have the people skills, and you have the knowledge. So, I expect <laughs> I expect you to be active in the future, uh, and I will be too. I mean, all of us should be more active. I mean, the millennials are taking more of a role, and we should continue to do that. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, so the, the podcast. Um, so in terms of this, this podcast, just, just give me a, a rough overview of, of the history of it from episode one to now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, so the origin of this idea, basically when I came to medical school here at Ohio State, I just realized that so many people here um, at OSU are just amazing people. They've you know, taught for TFA, you know, they've gone to other countries and done humanitarian work. Also, like, they have such rich life experiences, like, played in the NFL, played in the MLS, um, worked, you know, three years in some, you know, very, maybe esoteric to some, but uh, something that gave them a lot of perspective. Um, and so realizing that, I was like, you know, I got to find a way to be able to just learn you know, talk with, and medical school is busy. And so, you know, I was, I was trying to figure out what is the best way to kind of be able to have these conversations. Um, and so my first idea was to have, um, they're like these bots um, that I know someone from my school at UPenn, uh, they created these these um, kind of apps that'll help like randomly assign you with different people um, that you know and have like, lunch with them every week. And so I was like, maybe maybe that's it. Um, but that would require technical expertise that I do not have. <laughs> and so I decided against that. Um, and so I, I kind of didn't know what to do with it. Um, but then, you know, having conversations like we have, you know, as friends all of the time and just kind of sitting in, you know, I kind of realized, yo, wh you know, what if there was like a platform where people could just, well, you know, I can have conversations with people, but also other people can benefit from the things that we say. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I feel like in so many conversations that we have, you know, not necessarily medical related, but, you know, life perspective, society related. Um, I think people often offer like such profound responses. And what pops in my head is that, man, I wish other people could hear this because I feel like there's something really special going on in this conversation. And so from there, um, I think, I'm not sure how podcast specifically the medium came on. Like it, they could just kind of merge simultaneously. I listened to podcasts. I loved conversations. Then one day I was like, Oh wait, you can, that's, you can combine both of these to, you know, kind of create something great or cool. And so I sat on the idea for like months. <laughs> Um, again, medical school was busy, um, but I got some great encouragement by 
um, some people in one of my advanced competencies, which is kind of like a concentration that you do here at Ohio State. You know, the the advanced competency was called Developing and Empowering Leaders Through Advocacy, also called Delta. Uh, I think I talked about it a little bit on the first episode. And so, yeah, got a lot of encouragement from classmates from there, especially Anthony Wynn. Um, he was, you know, very encouraging, as well as Corey Thompson um, from one of the past episodes. And so eventually, January 2019, I decided to fully go forward with it, um, release the first episode. Um, and then from there, it just kind of grew, you know, it just kind of grew. And so here we are. And I think my goals for it, um, for the future, just kind of, I think my eventual goal is like, you know, I want to, this to be more than a podcast, but a platform in general for people who have, you know, kind of, they don't have to think similarly as I do, but are in agreement that medicine is going to require a much broader effort than people presumed before. And that during our, even during our training as medical students, that we have, you know, a voice. We can do something ourselves. We can say things ourselves. We can begin to plant those seeds that we want to grow eventually in our careers right now. And to this being a platform to promote that, to realize that medical students are doing that, that we're coming from so many different backgrounds, but are united in this one cause, this one, I think, noble endeavor that is, you know, important to pushing us forward as a society. You know, I think I want this to be like a, a place for that. And so, so it's such was born a second opinion, the voice of your future doctors. So, yeah. That's that's the origin story, I guess. That's incredible. Uh, so, I mean, just in my perspective, I think that just the first episode alone was a thousand times more than what most medical students do when they're just talking about some kind of project or a startup or an invention, what have you. But most students leave it at the talking stage or the planning stage, development stage, whatnot. But you are actually doing this podcast, which is a lot more than other medical school students are doing. Um, and that's that's incredible. And so to kind of turn the tables around on you, oh I want to know, 10 years, you've, you've asked this before, so what are you going to be doing? Is this podcast going to be a TV show, the next big thing? A TV show, oh my. <laughs> Tell me, what's going to happen? Another great question. Um... I think in 10 years, I'll be 35. And assuming that, you know, my interest in pediatrics stays the same. Um, okay. Yeah. I think for myself, first, I do see myself as a practicing phys physician, most likely a pediatrician, who is working in a very community, in a community setting, whether that's a community health center whether that's a free clinic, um, doing some work there. But also I have, you know, some research interests as well, um, especially in the space of community-based participatory research. Again, I think it is such a refreshing idea what that type of research is. It's basically instead of coming into a community and being like, this is the intervention that we think is best for you, uh, why not collaborate? especially given the history of these, you know, 
large institutions, you know, encroaching, unfortunately, on the surrounding areas. Why not have a united front in creating both research for that academic institution, but also improving the local community in a very genuine and appropriate manner? Um, like, it, I think it, it just it kind of makes sense to me. Um, if you want to help somebody, ask them for what they want. And I think in terms of, uh, so I can see myself kind of having that academic role as well um, in some kind of um, academic institution. Um, so, so yeah, in, in terms of like what I'm doing professionally, in 10 years, I don't have necessarily like big things planned. So like, I'm not running for president. Or I'm not running a company like which is also why so many of my classmates that I've interviewed, I'd be, I've been so inspired by because I was like, I, I'm not even thinking, I, I, you know, maybe I should be thinking bigger. Um, but that's what I'm thinking for myself. For this podcast, for sure, um, I want to keep doing this podcast. This is something I'm, re I really love to do. It's just, it's just fun, um, getting to have these kind of conversations. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I think it is impactful. And I think that you know. There's value in this endeavor. But more than that, you know, I see this as a platform. Like I said, you know, I want to take second opinion to Bolivar, Tennessee and start more health programs because I shouldn't be the only medical doctor that comes from Bolivar, Tennessee. It shouldn't be that way. There are so many people that were just as smart as I was, you know, just as driven as I was. But because of, you know, difference in circumstance, um, and just, you know, being fortunate, you know, for myself and having, knowing that I could do it because I had a role model, role model every day that told me directly and indirectly that I could, you know, I think that's a big reason why I am here today. And so I want to take this platform, you know, to my hometown and, you know, start programs there and let, you know, young kids in that city know um, that this dream is possible for them as well. You know, I want to you know, create more content, different types of content, um, you know, if that means, you know, start starting a, a second opinion productions where medical students like create music and this is a label for them and a platform for them to like put their content out there, then so be it. Um, you know, I, whether that is, you know, I edit a lot of personal statements in my free time. So an advising company for both you know, medical students and pre-medical students, again, to let them know that there is a different perspective than the one that's often fed to us when we are in the pre-medical stage, that this is how you become a doctor. This is the process that you take. These are the types of people that end up being able to make it um, to a medical career. Um, I think using this, having this platform to offer a true perspective and just let people, again, from minority disadvantaged populations, that this is possible. And, you know, that's another big goal of mine as well. So, you know, I feel like I have bigger goals for the podcast than for myself, but I think they're they're intertwined. I just want this platform to be something that is as impactful as can be. Just as impactful as can be and reach as many people as possible and spread this message of the type of physician that I think the types of physicians that I think should exist. I want this podcast, this platform, A2O in general, to be able to promote that. So, yeah. And then, you know, family. 
and stuff like that. So, <laughs> of course, always yeah. family. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think I think there's a lot of things going on, and I think you might not think you have a lot of aspirations, but I think they're secretly in your head somewhere, and I think they'll come <laughs> out. I think when you find them, you'll know. Interesting. And okay. we're all. I speak for everyone here. I think we're all <laughs> looking forward to to seeing what you will end up doing oh, because man. it could be anything. So. Phil, I greatly appreciate it. And not, not just for your kind words and for agreeing to be a host on the podcast, but your support. Like, I've asked you for advice, episode-related, audio-related, video-related. Like, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. No, I, I just want to see medical students succeed and do things that change and improve the world. Yeah. Don't, that, that makes two of us. That makes two of us. Yeah. Cool. I think that's yeah. That's, um, a, that's the show. That is the show. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram. Um, the Instagram account is at buzzing like a beeb. Um, that's at b u z z i n underscore l i k e underscore a underscore b e e b. Will most likely be in the description for this episode. Um, Phil, let the people know uh, where they can find you. And you can find me, first of all, at the library or the <laughs> <Target> school Panera <laughs> in person. Oh, man. Or online on Instagram. Uh, my media account is Omega3, that is the number three, pictures. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, y'all. Take care. Peace.